Thank you for that great song. The message today is, do we have to vote on this? Well, let me say it right. Do we really have to vote on this? This comes from a uh, people's choice suggestion. The primary scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14. Those scriptures are in your program. But I'll also use a good number of excerpts from Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 8. If you'd like to read those, follow along, or read those after the fact to uh, check me on this message, please do. Do we really have to vote on this? Voting itself is so divisive, isn't it? This world we live in right now seems especially divisive. There's no doubt in my mind that this coronavirus event that we're all trying to live through has isolated us, that has separated us. There's no doubt about that, that this event has made that division worse. Because we say things to people in isolation, we say things to people remotely that we would never say to them face to face. We say things to them through our computers, through our electronic means, through email, through Facebook posts, even to a friend. We say harsh things using those electronic means and we would never say those same things to a person face to face. Do we really have to vote on this? Really? I love democracy. It's the best form of government in the world. I, I love Winston Churchill's quote on that. He says, democracy is the worst form of government, except all the other forms of government that have been tried. But the worst thing about democracy is the voting, because the voting aspect divides us. When we vote on major issues, especially like, well, president, those are divisive. And the Methodist Church, it's an American church. It was started here in this country. And so guess what? The organization was like the US government. It was organized in a democratic way. People vote on things in our church. We vote on important issues. We vote on divisive issues. And that in and of itself is divisive. Do we really have to vote on this? Really? There is this single issue that has been dividing the church for a long, long time. In fact, when we read our scriptures here in a moment, you'll see that this issue goes back to the very beginning of the church. We're still struggling with it. And this year's annual conference was postponed because of the coronavirus. This year's general conference was postponed actually till next year. But the annual conference is gonna happen the end of July and here's how it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen online, <laughs> online. And I wonder how the fact that the annual conference is, it gonna, is gonna occur online, how that's gonna affect the discussion, the debate, the civility, the lack thereof we're discussing these difficult issues when we're participating by computer, hiding behind our computer screens or in Zoom rooms. I wonder, 
I'm not sure how it'll be different, but one thing I'm pretty sure of is that it won't be the same. Even though people are the same, even though the issues are the same and have been for a very long time. Do we really have to vote on this? Even the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul spoke harshly when he was speaking about his fellow apostle, his ministry friend, his missionary associate, Peter. Especially when they were apart, when he's writing this letter that we're about to read. Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back, kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction, or the Jewish faction, and the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, you're being two-faced in other words, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Let us pray. Holy God, help us understand with our heads and our minds first these difficult issues in these scriptures and then help us understand them with our hearts in Christ's name amen so the context of that scripture we just read was Paul's reflection on the nature the results the interactions and the conclusions from the Council of Jerusalem. In fact, the first verse in that chapter we read from says, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem. He's talking about the Council of Jerusalem. And that was the first big church meeting, the first big church conference, the first ecumenical council, some people call it. I sometimes think of it in terms of our church organization, our annual conference and our general conference. It's like a big annual conference. And they knew it was going to be contentious. They knew it was going to be contentious. You know, sometimes when I go to annual conference, and it seems like it's been this way for a number of years, I knew there was going to be one issue, one contentious issue that was going to take a lot of time. There was going to be a lot of difficult face-to-face debate. And I always... If I could find an excuse to get away some way, to even go for a walk, to pray, to discern how I needed to vote on the issue. We really have to vote, don't we? That way afterwards, and people can say to me, did you hear how so-and-so talked to so-and-so about that issue? How rude he or she was? That way I can legitimately say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I had to miss it. Do we really have to vote on this? Really? 
They knew it was going to be tough. They knew it was going to be a rough meeting because, well, it was a called meeting. You had to be there. And there was this single issue. They knew it was going to be rough because when they checked into that Council of Jerusalem, they were told, well, if you're part of the Antioch contingent, meet over here first before the plenary session begins. If you're part of the Berean conference or church, meet over here beforehand. If you're part of the Jerusalem contingent, meet over here before this plenary session begins. They knew it was going to be rush, rough, because it was this single issue. And here's what that single contentious, divisive issue was. Are we going to admit, are we going to continue to admit foreigners, people who aren't Jewish, people who don't know the Hebrew Bible, people who don't know anything about the Exodus or the Passover or the Mosaic Law or people who aren't circumcised, people who only yesterday committed all sorts of immoral acts and worshipped idols, are we going to admit them into our holy fellowship merely on the basis of their confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, records in Acts chapter 15, verse Two, there was a sharp dispute and much debate among those called to this conference. Sharp dispute. Because churches disagreed with each other on this issue. Individual people, individual Christians disagreed with each other on this issue. But worse, oh, so much worse, was that individual Christians disagreed with themselves on this issue. They were struggling with themselves. They, oh, they all believed the Bible. That wasn't the issue. They just didn't all agree on what the Bible said. And you know, when we disagree with ourselves, if we disagree internally, we tend to make casualties of other people. Other people. Even those people we love. Because we say things so harshly, so definitively, trying to convince ourselves what to believe. And in the process, we hurt other people. We try to convince ourselves that we are right. Even though we are really struggling eternally. You can often tell a person who's struggling internally by how they treat speak to and even lash out at other people. It's one thing to say that you know something. It's another thing to believe something. The hardest trip you will ever make is from knowing with your head to believing and doing with your heart. Particularly about a difficult issue that you're struggling with personally. And so many people were struggling then at this Council of Jerusalem with that issue. So many people are still struggling now. I can tell by the harsh and the rude 
Facebook posts regarding this issue, I can tell people are struggling internally with this issue. There was sharp dispute, much debate. And you know, I imagine this Council of Jerusalem occurring somewhat like a a modern-day annual conference, a big room with lots of microphones and people debating and voting. I imagine that's how it occurred as they were trying to decide whether to admit foreigners, whether to admit people who are so different. Microphone three, please. Microphone three, please come to the microphone. And before you start speaking, please tell us the church that you're representing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm from the uh, church at Antioch. And we have a wonderful Bible study class. We believe the Bible. And we've been studying Ezra. And Ezra says to get rid of the foreigners. I think chapter 10 even says, if you're married to one, divorce her. Get rid of the foreigners. That's all I'm going to say. I'll sit down and let others speak. Thank you. Thank you. Microphone six. Microphone six, please come to the microphone. Again, please tell us uh, what church you're from. Hello. Hello, I'm... I'm from the Berean Church, and um, started by Paul and Silas, and they have been they have been wonderful about encouraging women to study the Bible, and uh, we have this wonderful ladies' Bible study, and you know we're we're studying the book of Ruth, and Ruth was such a great lady of faith, but did you know that Ruth was a Moabite? Did you know that? And did you know that Jesus was descended from Ruth? And well, I, I just think that if Moabite blood ran through the veins of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then, well, that ought to be good enough for us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Mo- microphone 12. Microphone 12, please. Hello, I'm from right here in Jerusalem. I'm from the Jerusalem church. I remind you that we were the first church, and we are still the largest church, and the president of our church council is James, the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking about those words that the great prophet Amos said. Amos said, you only have I chosen to be my people from all the people of the earth. You only have I chosen. It doesn't say you and all the other people on the earth. It doesn't say you and this group and that group. It says you only. Is that not clear what the Bible says about this? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Microphone two, microphone two, please. Well, I'm not, um, I'm not representing any church. 
But I remember as a child memorizing a Bible verse that went something like this uh, in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest and all people from all over the world are going to go there to worship in the last days. And I do believe we are in the last days, don't you? And so I believe that people from all over the world should be able to worship together. Thank you. Thank you very much. And the debate went on and on. And the debate still goes on and on. Oh, I'd rather be walking on the beach, praying, meditating, discerning how I'm going to vote. We do have to vote, don't we? Do, do we really have to vote on this? Whose fault is it anyway that we started letting all these foreigners into the church? Whose fault is it anyway? I think maybe it was Stephen's. Remember Stephen, one of the first deacons, he was appointed to wait tables, wait on widows, take care of them, the widows, the poor, and that kind of thing. And you know, for whatever reason, Stephen started to preach. Everybody wants to preach. You know how it is. And when he did, foreigners start coming into the church. Oh, maybe the fault lies mostly with Peter. Do you know that he, he ate with a bunch of Italians out in Caesarea? Did you know that? He ate with them like he wasn't even a Jew. And even Paul, who... He's a minister to the Gentiles. He, he even gave Peter a hard time for that. Or maybe it was Barnabas. I mean, everybody loves Barnabas. He's such a nice guy. He's such an encourager. That's what his name means. And when nobody would accept Paul after he, his conversion, after he had been persecuting Christians, nobody would accept Paul. Barnabas put his arm around him, took Paul with him, took him. Well, he let Paul preach. Oh, I wish Barnabas wouldn't have let him do that. Because look what Paul's created. Look at Paul's churches out in the hinterland. Look at what a mess they are. Look at the church in Corinth, the, the Corinthian church. What a mess. I mean, those people don't know anything. They hold their programs upside down. They don't know an introit from a benediction. They get drunk at the communion table, they pig out at the communion table. Maybe it was Paul who started all this. Or maybe if we're looking to blame somebody, we should blame Philip. Because Luke in Acts chapter 8 tells us how Philip first went and preached to the Samaritans. The Samaritans, can you believe it? I mean, if you're going to let Samaritans into the church, oh my gosh, the camel's nose is not only under the tent, it's in the tent. And worse than that, Philip baptized Ethiopian 
eunuch. He baptized an Ethiopian eunuch. It's Philip's fault. Well, Luke says in Acts that it's God's fault. <laughs> you see, when that Holy Spirit first came at Pentecost, chapter 2 in Luke, there were people from all nations, Medes, Parthenians, all over the world came to be filled with that Holy Spirit, to worship God. It was God's fault. And we hear that Holy Spirit now pushing and shoving the church. Well, at the Council of Jerusalem, we hear the Holy Spirit pushing and shoving the church beyond ethnic, beyond culture, beyond economic, beyond religious, beyond social borders. Right now. And you know, Luke doesn't just say it. The cool thing about Luke is he gives us a picture. He turns the camera around as he's speaking on a, on a character that makes us look at our own internal struggles about this issue. And he does that so well with the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Luke chapter 8. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. Probably the strangest, most insightful story is this story of Philip. Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. He encounters this eunuch sitting in his chariot, the eunuch's chariot, reading the Bible, trying to understand the Bible, pondering what it means. Now, Ethiopians are foreigners, you know. You know that, right? Ethiopians are are black. Did you know that? Ethiopians are black. And being black in and of itself to some Jews at the time meant they were cursed. And eunuchs, oh my gosh. It's hard to describe this and be nice about it, but eunuchs are, are sexless. Whether he this eunuch was sexless, sexless by birth or by choice or by accident or by surgery. We don't know. But they're sexless. And because he was sexless, he, he had opportunities. Gainful employment, powerful employment with the queen. Because he had no loyalties of his own to his own wife or children, he could be totally dedicated and non-threatening to the harem. And so he was put in charge of many things for the queen, including her treasury. And he was very well-to-do. Well, he had a chariot. And he had a Bible. We forget that having a Bible at this time was extremely rare. He was well-to-do. And we know what the Bible says about eunuchs, right? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, says the eunuch shall not be permitted in the assembly of God's people. The eunuch shall not be permitted. And most translations have other more grotesque words describing the eunuch. I'm trying to be nice to you. But it means the same thing. In other words, they're, they're not welcome to be part of God's people. 
And even if some careless usher were to let a eunuch into the assembly of God, they wouldn't feel welcome because the people of God are so good at making people who are different feel like, well, feel like they don't fit in, feel like outsiders. The people of God are so good at that. And then chapter 8 of Acts, verse 30, it says, Philip ran up to the chariot, talked to the Ethiopian eunuch, eunuch asked him what he was reading, found out he was reading from the book of Isaiah in the Bible. Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading. The eunuch said, well, no, how can I understand this? I'm not part of God's people. How can I understand unless you tell me what it means? And so he invited Philip into his chariot. They kept reading and they kept discussing and they found out that the eunuch was reading a passage from Isaiah 53 at first. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a, as a lamb before its shear is silent. He didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? They are cut off from this earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, who's this talking about? Who's Isaiah the prophet talking about here? And Philip said, well, this is a prophecy about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for our church. And immediately, the Ethiopian eunuch began to see himself in the scriptures, and not only in the scriptures, but the very experience of Jesus Christ. And immediately, there's this connection between the eunuch's head and the eunuch's heart. And he says... So this Jesus was humiliated just like me? And Philip said, yeah, yeah. And so this Jesus was deprived of justice just like me? Yeah. And so Jesus was cut off. He had no descendants, no children, no grandchildren like me? Philip said, yeah, just like you. Perhaps they went on reading from Isaiah 56, which speaks more to foreigners and eunuchs. It says, no longer let the foreigner say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. No longer let the eunuch say, I am but a dry tree cut off, no children and no future. For the days are coming when I will bless eunuchs that hear my voice. I will give them a name, a place in the walls of my house, and I will give them a generation far greater than all the sons and daughters could ever give. And the Ethiopian eunuch is brought to his knees, and I believe Philip was too. And he says to Philip, I know I'm an Ethiopian. I don't know what you think about Ethiopians, but, and I know, well, I'm a eunuch, and we know what the Bible says about eunuchs. We know what Deuteronomy says. But here, in Isaiah, it says that I have a name, I have a place, I have a future. Do you think it's possible that I could be a member of this church of Jesus Christ? And Philip, still struggling internally himself, he says, yes, yes, you can. 
I know a hundred. I know a thousand people who aren't going to like it. They're going to be mad at me. I know a bunch of people back home when they find out I let you in. They're going to blame me for letting people like you in now and for all time. But yes, you can be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. In fact, I feel a little awkward saying it because I'm still struggling with it. But yes, I'm surprised I'm saying it. But yes, the fact is, who am I to say no to God who has already said yes? So the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip get out of the chariot, walk down to the water. The eunuch is baptized into the church of Jesus Christ. The church has changed forever. Do we really have to vote on this? Can we accept the word of God by acclamation? Holy and gracious God, help us with our internal struggles. And as we're internally struggling, help us not to lash out at others, to make ourselves feel good. Help us to be accepting of foreigners. all people who desire to follow Jesus Christ. We give you thanks. Amen. And now we're going to conclude this service today with a special presentation by Sheila Heiss, our choir director. She um, has a story to tell you about Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer. And then we'll sing a hymn that Fanny Crosby wrote. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. So please enjoy this and enjoy uh, the hymn singing with Sheila. And until next week, this is Pastor Bryce with Green Street United Methodist Church. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Go in peace. <laughs>